Tonight, through God's word, we continue to look at our Lord's trial as it unfolds. Tonight, from our vantage point afforded to us through Scripture, we see the drama as it's played out right in front of us. Tonight, we find our players right where we left them last night. There is a mob that is growing both in number and in aggression. There are religious leaders that are closing in on their much sought-after agenda, the death of Jesus, the Nazarene. There is a Roman governor caught in the balancing act of his own selfish ambition. And then there is our Savior suffering, yes, greatly, but at the same time resolute and committed to the task that is at hand. Tonight, this ironic proceeding moves forward to its provident yet dreadful conclusion. Tonight in our verses, there's much to see, as we've been finding out, really too much for us to take in. But tonight, out of our verses, we're going to see three things tonight. We're going to see the first, the sham of empty religion. The sham of empty religion. The second thing we're going to see, we're going to see the sacrifice of our Savior, the great sacrifice of our Savior. And then third, we're going to see the sinister evilness of man, the sinister evilness of man. Tonight, our message is entitled, Behold Your King. Behold Your King. Tonight, we're in John chapter 19, verses 6 through 15. John chapter 19, verses 6 through 15. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 19, beginning in the sixth verse, Behold Your King. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you. Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight again. We're thankful for this night. We're thankful for this opportunity. 
We're thankful, Lord, for the word of God that, that is living, that is active, that speaks to us tonight. I, I pray as we've come to hear your voice, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open, that our minds would be open, and we would actually hear, Lord, from your word, the, the voice of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray as we hear your word tonight that we would be changed, that we would be built up. I pray, Lord, that as we hear your word, we would be equipped to lead a lost and dying world to our Savior, our truth in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are hearing tonight that do not know you. I pray, Lord, that in this night, in the hearing of these verses, of this good news, that tonight might be the night of their salvation. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we do worship you, we exalt you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's go back tonight to our record. Remember where we have left off. Pilate has had Jesus beaten savagely. The Roman soldiers have struck him. They have whipped him literally within an inch of his life. Jesus stands, remember, pulverized and bloody, a gruesome and shocking sight. At that point, Pilate brings Jesus forth and showcases him to the Jews. Now, remember, his hope in that is that in seeing his terrible condition, that they might be satisfied, that their anger might be quenched, and that they would relent from their demand for an execution. As he presents Jesus, he exclaims, see the man, behold the man. We're going to pick up there tonight. I'm going to back up to the fifth verse. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man, verse 6. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to him, take to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. The Greek word for cry out here, it is a word that means a loud cry. It is a burst of noise. It is really to shout out. And so seeing the bloody Jesus, the, the chief priests and the officers, they are not drawn to compassion, but rather to the opposite, to fierce anger. And seeing Jesus, laying their eyes on Jesus, they shout out, crucify, crucify. Instead of mercy, they respond with madness. Instead of sympathy, they offer shouts of aggression. The chief priests, seeing Jesus, Shout out, crucify, crucify. Pilate responds in the original word order, I find no guilt in him. Remember last night it means no fault in him. I find no crime in him. And so Pilate says, I find no fault, no crime, no guilt in him. Therefore, crucify him Yourselves. That's actually how he says it. I, I find no guilt in him, so you crucify him yourselves. Think about this. For years, Pilate has watched these people of this strange religion. They talk about 
worshiping God. They, they talk about obeying God. In fact, they talk all about obeying God. They are, they are focused on the word of God. He's watched them at their temple. He's watched them in their odd devotion. He's most likely smirked at their day of rest. He has watched them profess to follow the one true God. They have professed that they're different, that their God is different from all the other gods, different from Pilate's own pagan gods. And so he's watched this peculiar people, and on this day, it is those religious people who are found to be as vile as the Assyrians. Pilate sees that. He sees that they are as wicked as the Babylonians. He sees that they are as bloodthirsty as any army, any culture that the Romans had ever conquered. He sees that the priests of the one true God aren't satisfied with the beating of one of their own, but now they shout out, crucify him, and they call for his execution. And Pilate, the pagan governor, sees firsthand the sham of empty religion. He goes on, verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. In verse 7, the truth comes out. Now they said to him that the reason he should go to the cross, the reason he should die is that he's claiming to be king. In fact, he's saying, do not pay taxes to Caesar. And so they have said the reason he needs to die, the reason for his execution is he is in competition with Caesar. But now see in this verse 7, now they show that's not the reason at all. It is not a civil issue. They show it is a religious matter. They respond, he claims to be the son of God, to be God himself. And for that, he must die. You ever notice when people get mad or when pressure is applied, that's when the truth comes out? And you can talk and you can hide and you can perpetrate like it's one way, but when you get mad and when the, when the, when the pressure is applied, all of a sudden the truth comes out. Well, all of a sudden the pressure is applied and they said, well, the reason is he claims to be God. Our law says he must die. Here, whipped into a frenzy, they let the truth out. The true issue is, they say, he claims to be God. All right, verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now, that's an interesting verse. Listen to that again. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now, let me tell you, this Pilate has had all of this trouble that he wants. If he doesn't do something, there's going to be a riot. If there's a riot in his district, he's going to be in trouble. He has to keep control, and he's had all this trouble that he wants. But now there is this. Now they say Jesus claims to be God. He claims to be from God or of God. He claims to be God. Now understand, Pilate was not religious, but he was superstitious. And his culture, this Roman culture, had all sorts of false gods, had all sorts of false worship practices. And so he's familiar with that. Earlier on this day, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew tells us, his wife warns him from a dream 
Have no part of this innocent man. Well, now hearing that, he's, he says he's from God. Hearing that, remembering his wife's dream, the Bible says he is even more afraid. Verse 9. And he entered into the praetorium again. He goes back in and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now I want you to see tonight in verse 9, he's not talking about what region are you from. He's not talking about what city Jesus is from. He knew he was from Galilee. He knew he was a Nazarene from the city of Nazareth. He knew where he was from. But Pilate going back in says, where are you from? Now, maybe this is the closest Pilate was to figuring it out. He is saying here, who are you really? Where are you from? Are you from God? Where are you from? Now, the Bible says here that Jesus gave him no answer. Now, Jesus had already told him, remember that, that he was a king of another realm. That's what he's already told him. He has a, a kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom. He's already told him that. But now when he hears this question, Jesus remains silent. Isaiah, speaking of the suffering servant, says, now again, 700 years before this event, he says this, he was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus only not, not only like a sheep, but actually as the lamb remains silent. Like a sheep before his shears go, not a word does he utter. Verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Pilate in this whole ordeal has been disrespected enough. Outside they are forcing his hand and now inside Jesus will not answer. And so he sees Jesus there beating all the pieces and he says, you will not speak? Do you not know I have the authority? The word for authority means power. Do you not know I have the power, the authority to release you? I can release you. Do you not know I have the authority to crucify you? I have my, within my power the ability to crucify you. Verse 11, Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Listen to verse 11 again. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus says here, you would have no authority. Now listen, that seems crazy. Here he is, and he is beaten. He has been handcuffed, and here he is, and it seems for sure that he is at their mercy. Can you imagine? It seems that he's at their mercy, but Jesus says here, he's only there because he wants to be. He, he says, you know what? He, you, I wouldn't be here. You have no authority except it's given to you from above. He's only there because he wants to be. And listen, he only wants to be because 
He so loves. He so loves the Father that he's going to walk it out in obedience. He so loves sinners that he comes to provide a way of redemption. He tells Pilate, I'm only here because I want to be. So understand, it is no misstatement. You would have no authority had it not been given you from above. He says, for this reason, you are less to blame. Now, it doesn't say you have no blame. You are less to blame than the one who put this all together. Now, there's some folks that talk about who that is. I believe he is singular, and so I believe it's talking about Caiaphas, the acting high priest. He that sent me over here. Before we move on, I want you to see this. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. I want you to see this. He has never lost control. He has not surrendered over control. We need to see this. In this event, at this place, Jesus is in total control. I want you to hear that tonight. Whatever situation we might find ourselves, and I'm talking whatever situation, no matter how dire it may seem, no matter how crazy, how unexpected, how hard it is, listen to me, you can count on the fact Jesus has never lost control. He doesn't lose it here. He doesn't lose it anywhere. Jesus is in control. Now I want you to see, we see it all the way through these verses. But I want you to see once again tonight the, the sacrifice of our Savior. And we, we looked at it last night. I think it's a huge thing, a big thing that we would understand the hugeness of his sacrifice. You see, he doesn't need this. He doesn't have to do this. The creator God of all things is questioned in this kangaroo court. The king of kings is bound and whipped by a bunch of pagans. The Lord God, the Lord God worthy of all honor is belittled at the court of man. He doesn't need this. And yet he does it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do not lose sight of the sacrifice of Jesus. He doesn't have to be there. He doesn't have to put up with this. He does it in love. All right, verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Now, Pilate knows he's done nothing deserving of death. In fact, he knows he's done nothing to deserve the beating that he's already received. He knows, Pilate knows he is innocent. And the Bible says here that he made efforts. It is plural. We've seen some of the efforts that he's made. He tries, he makes, makes efforts to release him. But the Jews, these now in this whipped up crowd, their leaders and now the crowd with them, notice here they go back to the original charge. He claims to be king. Hold on a minute, verse seven, you didn't say that. He says he's in, he's in conflict with Caesar. That's what they say. Understand what's happened here. They've now put Pilate on trial. They've put Pilate in the crosshairs. They tell him, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. In fact, if you're no friend of Caesar's, if you release this man, you're an enemy of Caesar's. 
The Jews have now struck a chord in this verse. You see, he has to be okay with Caesar. He has to keep peace in the land. He can't have these rumors out spreading. Caesar Tiberius, the acting emperor, was known to be paranoid. He was known to be violent. He was known to be brutal, and he would put a quick end to any threat. And so the Jews now have him. He's caught, verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. This was the judgment seat. It was a high place, a raised platform with a raised seat. He would make his way there. He would sit on this seat to make his official declarations. And so verse 13 says that he brings Jesus out. He makes his way to the judgment seat And there he sits down, verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. Now listen to that again. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. Now I want you to notice here in the 14th verse, John is very clear He is very intentional, very careful to make these points part of the record tonight. He wants us to see these points tonight. First, he says, it was the day of preparation. That means it's the day before the Passover. It was the day, what day was it? It's the day of preparation. He says, on that day, it was about the sixth hour, which would mean any time shortly before noon. It It was on the day of Preparation. It was before noon. See this tonight. On the day of preparation, the day before the Passover at noon, the preparation for the Passover observance would officially start. And so at this day at noon, all these folks would start to clean their house in in preparation for the observance. They would take all of the leaven out of their house. They would start at the top of the house and they would work their way down to the bottom of the house and they would sweep it out and they would prepare for the Passover observance. And so understand at noon, they start preparing for the Passover observance. Not only that, at noon on the day of preparation, all work would stop. There'd be no more hustling. There'd be no more bustling on this day, the day of preparation. All work at noon would fall silent. And on this day, the day of preparation at noon, the lamb would be prepared for its sacrifice. On this day, in a few hours, all of those lambs would be sacrificed. At noon, the lamb would be prepared for its sacrifice. And John makes sure that we remember here, it was the day of preparation. It was about the sixth hour. And the lamb, Jesus, is made ready for the sacrifice. Pilate says at this point, behold your king. It literally means observe your king. Now maybe he did it in jest, maybe he did it out of disgust, maybe he did it in anger, but he says at this point, behold, see your king. Verse 15. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we 
have no king but Caesar. Again, it's the maddened crowd we find here. They, they, upon seeing Jesus this time, they shout out, they yell out, away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. In verse 6, notice the difference. They said crucify, crucify, but now it is crucify him. Understand now it is tied to Jesus. Crucify Jesus. Crucify this one before us, this one. Jesus, crucify him. He must die. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests announced, we have no king but Caesar. They hate Rome. They hate Caesar. But they pronounce, we have no king but Caesar. Last thing we see tonight is the sinister evil of man. Understand this crowd, they have no mercy. They seek no justice. There's no love in this crowd. You can't find any love. It's self-promotion in this crowd. It is self-concern that rules those in this crowd. And so they yell out, crucify him, slaughter him if you must. Please do it. We have no king but Caesar. Here's my question today. It's the same question we saw yesterday, and that is this. How do you reject a suffering Savior? Here comes our Savior, and he humbles himself, and he submits to this that we might be saved. How in the world do you reject a suffering Savior? A dictator, maybe you could, maybe you could reject them. A self-serving king that would oppress you, for sure you should reject them. How do you reject a suffering Savior? Tonight, Pilate ends, behold our king. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, we're, we're so thankful tonight for our king, for the king. We're so thankful, Lord, that you're there because you wanted to be. You're there out of great grace shown to us for infinite mercy, shown to us for your great love that's revealed in this, in this act. Lord, I'm thankful that it's in this event that our Passover lamb, that through his blood we're delivered. Through your blood, we're saved, forgiven, redeemed, and restored. Lord, I'm thankful for our Savior. Lord, I pray that this picture tonight hangs in our hearts, hangs in our minds, shapes us. Lord, I pray for some that are seeing this for the first time. I, I pray for some that do not know you. Maybe in the hearing in this room somewhere else, that tonight they would understand the love of our gracious Savior. Now they would turn and not reject a suffering Savior. They would receive him tonight by faith. Lord, I pray that you've been known tonight, that you've been glorified tonight. I trust this to you. I give it to you. And we thank you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude tonight with a time of response, a time of invitation. And it's not just something to tack on. It's not something to check off. It's not some part of our service that we must endure. I want to tell you, this is, the, this is the purpose tonight, that we'd respond to the truth of Jesus, that we'd have the opportunity to respond to the truth of our Savior, Jesus, tonight. I want to tell you, the good news is this. God loves you. God sees you. God knows you. No distance is too far. No sin is, is too great. God loves you. He made a way for you to be saved through his son, Jesus. 
He comes, he lives a life he never sins, that he can offer himself in your place, in my place. That's exactly what he does. He goes to the cross and he pays, finishes the penalty for sin. He settles it there. He's put in a grave, he's dead, he's paid the price. He comes out of the grave, he's alive, he stands as the victor. In him is salvation. In him is eternal life. The Bible says of no work that we might muster up, no work that we might do, but by faith in Jesus we're saved. Listen, the call tonight is this, trust Jesus. Turn to Jesus tonight. He'll save you tonight. If you've never trusted Christ, turn to Jesus tonight. He'll save you this very night. Maybe you've made a decision but never fought in believer's baptism. We want to give you that opportunity as well. You come. We'll set a day. It'll be a great day of testimony, of celebration, what we believe of our Savior. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here into this fellowship you come as well. If you've prayed about it, I believe God has led you here. And together we'll serve his cause, upholding his word until he comes again. Maybe on this Tuesday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would, would move around, no one would head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand to sing, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here.